what would it be like to meet with God? If you knew that you had a definite appointment with God uh, on Tuesday at 11 o'clock, how would you prepare for that meeting? Well, I've heard some people say, well, I'd have a few questions for God that I'd, I, I want to get answered. As if God would be in the dock rather than them. Or maybe others might laugh off such a suggestion and say, well, um, they remember that uh, atheistic uh, bus slogan, there's probably no God, so stop worrying and enjoy your life. Every time I read that, that word probably doesn't sound so confident, does it? It's probably... No, God, that word probably is just enough to hint that there might be just a slight concern that you could meet with God and it might be rather problematic if you've spent your whole life saying he doesn't exist and ignoring him. Well, today we're continuing in our series through the Gospel of Matthew. And at the time that the... um, that Matthew writes his account of the life of Jesus. In those days, the Jews were expecting a visit from God. The last words that they had received from a prophet was about 400 years before that. And you can read those words in the book of Malachi. Let's open our Bibles and have a look. If you haven't got a Bible, uh, turn to one of the red Bibles and turn to page 961. Page 961, and that will take you to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Page 961. See... I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So what's the sequence of events? What comes first? The messenger... The messenger who prepares the way for the Lord. And then secondly, who comes? The Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty is coming. And what will that day be like? What will it be like to meet with God when he comes according to Malachi? We'll look at verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire. Or a laundress soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites, uh, the priests of those days, and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former days. So, 
I will come near to you for judgment. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Well, it's more about this day in chapter 4, verse 1. Just look across the other side of the column. Surely the day is coming. It'll burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name... The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. There will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah, before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So what's the sequence of events there again? Who comes first? A prophet, a messenger. Elijah, it says, verse 5. He'll come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. The day of the Lord will be like a furnace burning up evildoers like stubble and uh, purifying and restoring a people who will joyfully serve the Lord. They'll, they'll skip out like calves at the end of winter out into green fields. Joy and release. The Jewish people were expecting a visit from God. Is it possible to switch off the amps behind me that are just bubbling away? Is it the organ? Um. So, They were expecting that. Now, let's turn to our next section in Matthew's Gospel. Turn over a few pages to Matthew chapter 3, page 967. And um, as you turn over those pages, remember that those few turns represent 400 years of silence until there is now a new voice calling in the desert. Chapter 3, I'm going to read the first 12 verses. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord." Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. 
I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Well, this is God's word. Uh, Keep your Bibles open there. So 400 years of silence, until that is, John appeared on the scene. John, who ate food that looks very much like the sort of tucker you get on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Locusts, wild honey, and he wears clothes that seem very uncomfortable to me. Camel hair clothes, but they're clothes that identify him as being a prophet. And everybody in the day uh, uh, that... uh, that John lived, everybody knew who he was dressing like. So if you wear a red cape and uh, blue lycra with a big S on your chest, you want it to look like who? Superman. And if you wear black armored uh, kind of uh, clothing with sort of a, a mask with bat ears, you want to dress like... And it was the same deal really with, uh, with John the Baptist. When you're wearing a kind of a a, a sort of a camel hair clothes with a leather belt, everybody knew who you were dressing like. You were dressing like the Old Testament prophet Elijah. In 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, the king of Israel has a, a bit of a bad day when a servant comes into him with a message from a prophet. And the message is this, the king will soon die. And the king asks his servant, what kind of a man was he who told you this? And the servant replied, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And the king said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. He knew. And John starts preaching in the desert to break the silence from God and to bring the Lord's message to his people in Israel. He was the messenger to precede who? The Lord Almighty. He came in fulfillment of the prophet Malachi as well as the prophet Isaiah who is quoted in verse 3. Here is the, here is the voice calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And the question was this, after this long gap, would they listen to the messenger? Would they heed God's words. What's his message in a nutshell? It's this. The Lord is coming. Get ready. That's what he means when he says the kingdom of heaven is near. He's saying the Lord is coming, so get ready. And John's job was to get people ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus. For his first coming, so they'll be ready for his second coming. Really, the the, the essential job of the Christian church is very similar to that of John the Baptist. 
while the Old Testament prophets look forward to one day when God would come and purge his people and bring judgment and rescue, the New Testament sees that day as a much longer time period. That day that's punctuated by two comings. The first coming of of Christ in salvation and his second coming in judgment. And so the, the, the challenge of John's message is similar to the challenge that the church must proclaim today. The kingdom of heaven is near. The Lord Jesus is returning. Are you ready? The Lord Jesus Christ, as he came 2,000 years ago, is coming back again, this time in judgment, to fulfill all those categories we read in Malachi. And the question is, are we ready for that day? Are you ready? Are you ready to meet with God? Matthew says that some people were ready while others refused to be ready. And you can see those two responses in this chapter. And as we consider these two responses, can I ask you to consider um, which one reflects you this morning? Which one reflects where you're at? Firstly, there are those who are prepared and ready. The people who were prepared and ready were those who heard the message of John and did what he said. Look at his message there in verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Because God had come in human flesh, in Jesus the Messiah, the only right response is to repent. To repent is just to change the way we think. And and, and so in changing the way we think, we end up changing the way we live. It's interesting to me as, as, as the news that God is coming is proclaimed. The only response that is required is repentance. It assumes that actually all of us are thinking the wrong way about God. It assumes that the default human position is actually to be rebelling against God. To be ignoring God. Uh, We want to set our own agenda for our lives. We want to live the way we want to live. We want to basically ignore God. God. And John's voice crying in the wilderness is a stark voice. And as you came over the hill, you'd hear the word repent. We need to change the way we think because God is coming. He is bringing his kingdom. The Lord Jesus is coming back. We need to change the way we think about God and about ourselves. And we need to change the direction of our lives. It's, it's not really just about feeling sorry about ways that you've maybe hurt other people. Um, it's not feeling just remorseful that you have sinned or, or feeling a bit sorry about the way that your life's a bit messed up because of the choices you've made. It's actually turning around and heading in a new direction. It is recognizing, actually, I have not been living for God. I've not been living with Jesus, my king. I've done all sorts of things that are wrong. And I see that they're wrong. 
And I humbly recognize that they are sin. And I turn from my sin to God. We heard a few times from uh, the stories of of, uh, the women today that the need for humbling, the need for humbly recognizing, yeah, that I, I am a sinner, that I need a savior. I need to turn direction. That's what repentance is. And, and it is, of course, the ongoing pattern of the Christian life. But it will always start at one point. There is a point, whether you can exactly remember the day or not, but there is a point where we um, repent of rejecting God's rule over our lives and we turn to live for him. And for the people that John was preaching to, uh, this repentance was a way for them being prepared and ready for the coming Lord Jesus. And it involved for them recognizing that they were rebel sinners. And they marked it by getting baptized with John's baptism of repentance. And it had a huge impact, this message. Maybe they had been listening to Malachi. Maybe they had remembered those words. Because the response in verse 5 is massive. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. What these people saw was that their sin was a problem. John knew it. These people knew it. Uh, The Lord knows it, that sin is our greatest problem. It's the very thing that stops friendship with a holy God. It's the very thing that uh, will condemn us eternally. Malachi was quite straight, wasn't he? When the Lord comes back, he'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress widows and fatherless, uh, those who uh, deprive immigrants of justice and do not fear him. Sin is a big problem because sin brings God's wrath against us. It is his settled Determined hostility against rebellion. Now, do we recognize how serious our sin is? Do you see how serious sin is? Because if you do, there's, there's great news in the first coming of, of the Lord Jesus. Uh, we, we were thinking about it only a few weeks ago. Uh, Matthew shared in the Christmas story back in chapter 1, if you look to the left-hand side of the page, Chapter 1, verse 21, um, the, the message of the angel, she, Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save people from the forever consequences of their sin, our rebellion against our, our creator. Jesus came to save us from our sin. And so all these people... Uh, From Judea and Jerusalem and Jordan, they are flocking to make sure they're ready for that event, the coming of Jesus. Now, we know when an event is coming, uh, we get ourselves ready for it. Let's imagine you're going out to a very posh dinner. Maybe it's uh, it's a black tie event, or maybe you have to wear a kilt or something like that, or a nice frock. And so uh, you know it's coming, you prepare for it. Maybe you go out and buy some new clothes. You maybe get your hair cut. Uh, You arrange babysitters. And then the day of the dinner comes and you wash and you iron and you shower and you groom and you preen and uh, you dress and you get ready. Um, 
well, the event hasn't happened yet. You're just getting prepared for it. The main event is the dinner, but you're just preparing for it. And that's what John says about his baptism. It's not the main event. No, it's just a sign of that they're ready for the real thing. And what's the real thing? Well, there it is in verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance. See, John is saying this, this baptism doesn't save you. It's just a mark of getting ready for the real thing. And the real thing is what? But after me will come one who is more powerful than I. Whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I wanted that to be the verse of the year. But um, some brothers suggest it might be a bit scary to have on your fridge. The coming of, of Jesus, the Messiah, was the main event. Remember the sequence? The messenger comes preparing the way, and then the Lord Almighty himself comes. Matthew is quite clear who we're dealing with, with Jesus. Yes, he was a man, and yet he was fully God. This is God come in human flesh. And of course, when God comes, well, he's way more powerful than John the Baptist. He is the one with true life-giving, life-changing power. And here is the one who is, who is superior and worthy in every sort of way uh, to John. John feels that he's not even able to do the lowliest task of kind of taking away the, sort of the dirty shoes and handling those. He's not even worthy to do the lowest of the low job that a slave would do. Because Jesus was the Lord Almighty come. And Jesus was the one who would bring the real thing. A baptism that would not just make people wet on the outside, a baptism that would change people from the inside. That he would pour out and give his Holy Spirit who would purify them like fire purifies. You see, our greatest need today is, is in, in a messed up world is not to make people nicer. We need to be made brand new. We need to be born again. We need the Lord Jesus to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. We need to be made brand new on the inside. We cannot do anything to make ourselves acceptable to be part of the kingdom of God. He must save us. He must wash us. He must cleanse us by the work of his spirit, making us brand new on the inside. And he does that because he came to be our savior. As we've heard a number of times today, he came to die on a cross to pay the price for our sins. We deserve the judgment of God. And yet he willingly swaps place with us to take that punishment in our place. And his resurrection from the dead guarantees that all our sins are paid for. And as he ascended to God's right hand on the day of Pentecost, he poured out his Holy Spirit. So that now whoever will repent will receive forgiveness of sins and the promise of the reception of the Holy Spirit. And the outward way we show that and demonstrate our allegiance to the Lord Jesus is through Christian baptism. John's baptism was prepared for Jesus. Christian baptism is saying, this has already happened to me. 
I have been made brand new on the inside. I have repented of my sins. I've received forgiveness. And I am standing here to be baptized to identify myself with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is. And Rebecca and Eleanor and May are showing today in their baptisms that they have repented, that they have turned, that they are trusting Jesus, that they have experienced the life-changing work of the Spirit. They are ready. They are prepared. And they are waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to return. They are ready to meet Him should He return soon. They are ready to meet Him if they should die before He returns. They're ready. What about you? Are you ready? Are you prepared? Have you repented? We need to be ready for his second coming. The final day of the Lord when Jesus returns to save his people and judge the world will be a momentous day. And John describes that day in verse 12 with this picture language, the idea of, of harvest, uh, where the, uh, the, the, the crops have been cut down, but uh, the, the grain of wheat needs to be removed from all the, the husks, and so it was put on the threshing floor, and it was ground over so that the, the grain would be, would be popped out of the, of the outward husk. And then there would be a winnowing where they throw it all up in the air and the heavy seed would drop down and the chaff would just get blown away. And he says, well, on that final day, that's what will happen. The Lord Jesus will gather up those who have repented into his barn. And those who refuse to repent will, will, will be the chaff that face unquenchable fire. See, that is the stark message of John the Baptist. And it's extraordinary as you look at this passage of, uh, to look at the characters who are not ready. And it's quite shocking. It's not the people you'd expect. See, in verse 7, you, uh, John sees uh, many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to observe what the crowds have been doing, where they've been going. And if we, could have, if we could be back in time and, and look at them, we'd be impressed by these men. We were dealing with very impressive religious men. The Pharisees uh, deeply loved and studied their scriptures. They were careful to follow all the rules that they were, they were there. They were, they were very passionate to follow the traditions of their Jewish fathers. They followed all the rituals of the calendar. Deeply religious. And yet when John the Baptist sees them, what does he shout? Can you imagine welcoming people to church in this way? Good morning, this is Charlotte Chapel. You brood of vipers! Who warned you? But that's what John the Baptist does. No, so glad you could come down and join us. We're having a wonderful time baptizing here. No, you brood of vipers. That's how he describes these uh, religious men. All their religion would not shield them from God's wrath against their sin. The Sadducees must have equally been taken aback by this stern language. They too were religious men, but combined it with a certain pride at their academic thoughtfulness. They didn't really go in for all this supernatural stuff in the Bible. They wanted to draw out the moral teaching. Uh, They were broad churchmen who held significant positions of ecclesiastical power. 
and, uh, and they, they had high standing in the community. And yet John the Baptist looks at them and shouts, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? See, their religious status would not shield them from God's wrath. John sees that just a bunch of deceptive snakes spraying their poison everywhere. Here were people who listened, but in reality did nothing. In fact, John tells them that all their religious practice is a sham. It'll, it'll do nothing to get them ready. It's not mere religion. It is repentance that is required. We must turn away from our sin and, sin and turn to God for mercy. And so John tells them to get on with it. Verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. See, we can't rely on religious pedigree. We can't rely on family history. See, they assumed they were right with God because they were merely Abraham's family. And John corrects that in verse 9. Do not think you are, can say to yourselves, we have, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. You know, I still meet people from time to time who have, um, seem to have, well, never seem to talk much about Jesus and uh, never talk about repenting of their sin and trusting Christ, but who have assumed, really, that they have the right for, uh, for heaven, that they'll be safe. And uh, they will talk happily to you about church buildings, about great ministers and organists. They'll point to their membership of the church where their parents had them baptized, where they attended from time to time. Uh, they, they can maybe point to their charitable work and their standing in the community. And, and John the Baptist would say, none of that will save you in the day of wrath. The only way is repentance. We must repent and trust Christ for the forgiveness of sins. We must be born again by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist was in the business of getting people ready. He wasn't there to impress people. He wasn't there to gather a crowd at any cost. He was there to get people ready for the day of the Lord. And those who harden their hearts to their need of the Savior King, who will not repent, well, verse 12, John says, and the language is almost, it's almost too painful to read, that while the wheat will be gathered into barn, the chaff will be burnt with unquenchable fire. And I take it he is trying to frighten us. And that this word picture is nothing compared to the reality of what hell will be. But Jesus himself warned people in his great love so that they would be ready. Even John the Baptist, as he looks at the Sadducees and the Pharisees, even as he shouts these harsh words, he does it to wake them up and says, look, there's still time. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. There's still time. If you'll humble yourselves... Repent. Trust Christ. You can be saved for heaven and rescued from hell. And my question to you today is quite simply, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Flee from the wrath to come. Escape by repenting of your sin. 
taking hold of Jesus. You can do that today. Turn to him in prayer. Say sorry for your sin. Ask him to forgive you and change you. Ask him to fill you with his spirit. Make you new on the inside out. You could do that today. Well, maybe you've got lots of questions. You say, look, this is just, uh, it's, a, it's all too much for me. Well, come, come to our Glad You Ask course. It's beginning this week. You can ask any question you want, and, and uh, we'll give you some answers from the Bible. Come to the Glad You Ask course. There's details in the bulletin. But don't delay. If you know you need to do something, flee. Flee from the coming wrath. May the Lord in his infinite mercy grant you grace to trust in Jesus today. Let's pray.